Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 2nd edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Attorney General announced a $1.6 billion global settlement with opioid manufacturer Malincrod and certain other of its affiliates. Malincrod is currently the largest generic opioid manufacturer in the United States. The company said that it had an agreement with a key committee of lawyers representing thousands of local governments suing various drug industry players over the opioids, and that the deal has the support of the attorneys general of 47 states and territories. Malincrod agrees in the agreement to pay $1.6 billion in cash to a trust that will cover the costs of opioid addiction treatment with the potential for increased payment to the trust. The company also agrees that its future generic opioid business will be subject to stringent injunctive terms that will prohibit marketing of its opioid products and ensure systems are in place to prevent the drugs from falling into the wrong hands. The company argued in court filings that unlike makers of brand name drugs, it did not promote opioids to doctors or understate the addiction risks. But plaintiffs in the cases said Malincrod continued to ship suspicious orders without making sure the drugs weren't going to be diverted to the black market. Under the terms of this agreement, Malincrod is filing for bankruptcy. The plan calls for it to make payments for eight years after the company emerges from bankruptcy protections. That route is similar to one OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma is taking to settle opioid claims against it. A lawyer on the executive committee of the opioid plaintiffs suing in federal court said that some details of the agreement still remain to be ironed out. The settlement announcement comes weeks before a trial was scheduled to start in New York. The looming trial has been a factor in a ramped-up push for other drug makers and distributors to settle as well. There have been increasingly public tensions between attorneys general and the private lawyers for local governments over the biggest of the proposed settlements. States have also been divided on whether to accept the deal under which the distributors would pay a total of $18 billion over 18 years. And the California Attorney General, as part of a coalition of 18 state attorneys general, filed a lawsuit challenging the U.S. Department of Labor's new rule limiting joint employer liability under the Fair Labor Standards Act. The California Attorney General claims it would become substantially more difficult to establish when organizations are inappropriately shielding themselves from joint employment liability under the new federal rule. The coalition argues in the lawsuit that the rule is contrary to the Fair Labor Standards Act purpose and violates the Administrative Procedure Act. The states argue that the rule's definition of joint employer does not adequately reflect today's workplaces. Where growing numbers of businesses are outsourcing functions to third-party management companies, independent contractors, staffing agencies, or labor providers. 
Entities found to be joint employers should be held accountable for workplace violations against an employee, even if the person is formerly employed by another entity. However, the new rule would make it much harder to establish joint employer liability. The workers in California will nonetheless continue to be protected by the California state's broad definition of an employer. And a new federal case ruled that there is no statute of limitations for Medicare recovery suits against secondary payers, such as workers' compensation carriers. Here's what happened in the published case of MSPA claims versus Kingsway Amigo. MSP Recovery LLC is a law firm out of Miami, Florida, and they have been initiating class action litigation countrywide as assinees on behalf of Medicare Advantage plans. They are alleging that various primary payers have failed to reimburse reimburse the Medicare Advantage plan's conditional payments for health care. This gives rise to a private cause of action under the Medicare Secondary Payer Act. The litigation success of this organization has been a wake-up call for secondary payers, including the workers' comp industry. The private cause of action rewards successful plaintiffs with double damages. And after giving Medicare its share of the recovery, the plaintiff can keep whatever is left over. Unlike the government cause of action, the private cause of action contains no statute of limitation in the code. This case of MSPA claims versus Kingsway Amigo began with an automobile accident in 2012. One of the people injured was a Medicare beneficiary who received her benefits from a Medicare Advantage organization known as Florida Healthcare Plus. Florida Healthcare Plus later assigned its claims to MSPA claims, who filed this lawsuit to recover for the payments that were involved. The other party involved in the accident was insured by Kingsway Amigo Insurance. The Medicare beneficiary obtained treatment for her accident-related injuries, and Florida HealthCare made over $21,000 in payments. The beneficiary settled a with a her personal injury claim with Kingsway. In 2015, MSPA then sued Kingsway under the act's private cause of action. Kingsway claimed the plaintiff did not comply with the act's provisions, limiting recovery claims to three years from the service was furnished. And the district court agreed, and Kingsway's motion to dismiss the recovery lawsuit was granted, and MSPA appealed. The Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit disagreed with the trial court and reversed the published case of MSPA claims v. Kingsway Amigo. The central issue on appeal was the application of a three-year statute of limitations or not to the suit against Kingsway. In rendering its decision, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals noted that the plain reading of the Medicare Secondary Payer Claims Filing Provision did not preclude MSPA claims from filing suit. Essentially, 
the appeals court found that there is no three-year statute of limitations to bring a private recovery suit against a third-party payer. A county judge in San Diego has ruled that Instacart misclassified the overwhelming majority of its California workforce. While it may not have any immediate effect, the injunction represents a critical first step in enforcing the new state law known as AB5. The new state statute attempts to ensure that gig economy and other workers are considered employees rather than unilaterally being declared independent contractors. <clears throat> Under state law, employees are eligible for consideration for benefits including workers' compensation, unemployment, unionization rights, and much more. Companies have millions annually they save by avoiding such high financial costs. The company said it disagrees with the judge's decision to grant a preliminary injunction against Instacart in San Diego and it will continue to defend itself in this litigation and will be appealing. The judge's ruling practically invited Instacart to appeal by saying that the sooner the Court of Appeal can hold forth on these issues, the sooner the parties will have clear and definite guidance on what is expected of them. Similar companies, including Uber, have resisted the law and have a multi-pronged approach to defend against it, <clears throat> including arguing that its drivers are not core to its business and should be treated as contractors. And now our crime report. Two owners and operators of a Los Angeles pharmacy were both sentenced to 144 months in prison for their roles in a healthcare fraud scheme. Prosecutors say that Medicare and Cigna Insurance were billed more than $11.8 million in fraudulent claims for prescription drugs. 50-year-old Alexander Suris of Sherman Oaks was sentenced to 144 months in prison in order to pay restitution of nearly $12 million to Medicare and more than $17 million to Cigna. His partner, 45-year-old Maxim Silvardoloso, <clears throat> also of Sherman Oaks, was sentenced to 144 months in prison and also ordered to pay restitution. A jury found both of them guilty after a 12-day trial. Suris and Servalov were the co-owners and co-operators of Royal Care Pharmacy in Hollywood. The two fraudulently billed Medicare and Cigna for prescription medications that Royal Care did not actually purchase or dispense to beneficiaries. In order to hide the fraud, the defendants obtained fake drug invoices to make it appear as if Royal Care had purchased the medicines when in fact they had not. And a urologist was sentenced to 71 months in federal prison for submitting fraudulent billings totaling more than $700,000 to Medicare. Sometimes he even billed for a purported patient visit miles apart and occurring at the exact same time. 65-year-old Mark Wilfred Tamarin of Manhattan Beach was also ordered to pay nearly $345,000 in restitution. 
A jury found Dr. Tamarin guilty after a seven-day trial of six counts of wire fraud and one count of attempted health care fraud. He has been in federal custody since the trial's conclusion. Dr. Tamarin was a partner in Advanced Urology Medical Offices, which had facilities in Torrance and West Los Angeles. Dr. Tamarin billed Medicare for services he did not and could not have performed and also ordered medically unnecessary tests. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has issued a notice of public hearing for proposed evidence-based updates to the medical treatment utilization schedule. The public hearing is set for Monday, March 30th at 10 a.m. in the auditorium of the Elihu Harris Building in Oakland. Members of the public may review the new uh, orders and are invited to comment on the proposed updates. The proposed updates incorporate by reference the latest published guidelines from the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine, that's ACOM, for several of its guidelines. The changes cover the Occupational Interstitial Lung Disease Guideline, the Knee Disorders Guideline, and the Workplace Mental Health Guideline, including Depressive Disorders. The DWC has also posted an amendment to the Hospital Outpatient Department Ambulatory Surgical Center's portion of the official medical fee schedule. The order can be found on the DWC website OMFS page. And in medical news, the FDA has announced that it will use medical claims data to confirm the outcome studies resulting from drug clinical trials. The Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, a small but influential Boston-based research group, has signed a deal with private technology company Adion. The partnership will help them use patient health data and its reports on whether individual drugs are actually priced properly. Large national regulators, including in the United States, the FDA, and the UK counterpart are considering increasing the use of data gathered outside of clinical trials on the effectiveness of treatments with pharmaceuticals. This is often referred to as real-world data. The FDA is running a pilot project using Adion's technology to analyze insurance claims to try to replace clinical trial results. The pilot project is part of a requirement to comply with healthcare legislation called the 21st Century Cures Act. It is seeking to determine under what circumstances such data could replace clinical trials, which have long been the foundation of medicine regulation. Some of the industry's largest pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer and Eli Lilly, have developed a blockchain-based system to track prescription drugs across the supply chain. The goal is to better halt the flow of counterfeit medicines. Some two dozen companies in the industry, including drug makers, distributors, retailers, and delivery firms, created the blockchain-based MediLedger network and they said they intend to further expand the system this year. Blockchain, 
which first emerged as a technology underlying virtual currency, Bitcoin, is a shared database maintained by a network of computers. The Medi-Ledger Group submitted a report to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration laying out the benefits of blockchain for this specific issue. The company claims that blockchain has the capacity to break apart the silos dividing pharmaceutical suppliers and customers, while also building bridges for secure record-keeping of each transaction that protects every party and ensuring fidelity across supply chains. There are small percentages of potential counterfeit drugs and a lot of evidence of diverted drugs. And counterfeit drugs are a big problem in third world countries where it is estimated that half of their drugs are counterfeit. The World Health Organization estimates that counterfeit medicines worth $79.26 billion are traded annually. The current point-to-point -point systems infrastructure lacks the ability to keep data in sync across the healthcare supply chain. This ultimately increases the risk of counterfeit, diverted, or otherwise illegitimate products. The core function of the MediLedger network is to validate the authenticity of drug identifiers throughout the supply chain. This can all be done without any proprietary data being shared openly on the blockchain or even leaving a company's control. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcasts, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, Minuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.